I had a tip for people, not for everyone, but for several people that it was, it suited them and, and I use it for myself. I said, let's say you're on your deathbed and your grandchild comes to you and say, grandfather or grandmother, what are you sorry about? What, what, what are your regrets? What haven't you done that you wanted to do? So whatever you think about, you will tell this imaginary grandchild I'm sure no grandchild has ever asked this question, his grandfather or grandmother, but let's say it happens, what are you telling him? And what, whatever you are saying, those are the things you should deal with. And if you're saying, I want to go to Nepal, go to Nepal. And if you're saying, I want to have a PhD, have a PhD. That's what I think. Hi there, you're listening to another episode of the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That?, of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions, based at the University of Haifa. My name is Dani, and as your host, I chat with early career researchers hoping to gain some insights into their academic journeys. Today, our guest is Amir Segal, a doctoral student in sociology at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, specifically focusing on the professional integration of North American immigrants in Israel. He doesn't only have academic publications on his name, though. He also has published quite some poetry. So stick around to hear more about Amir. But first, let me invite you to our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook to learn more about our guests and connect both with us and peers. For even more tips and advice by and for ECRs, have a look at our YouTube channel that is linked to the blog on our website. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe and tell us what you think. Now, let's get back to Amir who is patiently awaiting for me to introduce him. Amir holds a BA in Psychology and Philosophy from Hebrew U and an MA in Organizational Consulting from the College of Management, after which he worked as an employment and as a placement officer, as well as a parliamentary advisor and spokesman for a member of Knesset. Employment has always been something that Amir has worked on, which is why he founded Ofdim, a non-profit to enable people from all walks of life to maximize their career potential. Eventually, Amir even went back to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem to pursue a PhD on the professional integration of North American immigrants in Israel at the Department of Sociology and Anthropology. Amir has received various grants for his research, including from the Association for the Social Scientific Study of Jewry, the Shane Center Scholarship for Research in the Social, and the Levi Eshkol Institute Scholarship. He has published in the Israel Journal of Migration and has presented papers at international conferences. You might also be interested to know that Amir publishes poetry and has won awards for it. So, welcome to our podcast, Amir. I'm glad that you're here. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. And actually hearing think someone talking about yourself, about myself, is quite an ego boost. So I'm in quite a good mood now. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Yeah, beside that, this morning I did something I haven't done for the past year and I bought new clothes because, you know, after the three lockdowns here in Israel, one should start dress up as a person when meeting people because obviously Zoom is less and less relevant and it's very difficult because one of the advantages of Zoom, not only that you ha can put t-shirt and uh, be very casual, you have the name of the people near their heads and in real life it doesn't work like that so you have to remember everyone's name it's extremely challenging this is true we all have to get used to going back 
but uh, everyone will be able to see that you look good in your new shirt once we post it Thank with you. our drinks on Instagram. I, uh, I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. All right. So before we kick off, I'm going to pour myself my regular, my Amaretto. What are you having? Excellent. I'm having black coffee. Um, yeah, I'm uh, drinking less and less alcohol in the past year. So, uh, yeah. Might be a good habit. Um, and black coffee is also definitely, I feel, something more local to Israel than where I'm from originally in the Netherlands. But they call it mm -hmm. Turkish coffee, right? Yes, yes, yes. And actually in Romania and a few other countries too, it's called Turkish coffee. And uh, yeah, black boiled coffee with no sugar, dark and bitter, like life maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You study philosophy, you should know. But we'll for yeah. sure both get a kick out of it. So, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. L'chaim. L'chaim. So, as usual, I'd like to start with a few yeah. short questions. <clears throat> and the first one I got here is, if everything goes well, what is your ideal morning routine? My ideal morning? Um, to have the kids at school and kindergarten by 8 o'clock. And is that a challenge usually? Or... It's a huge, huge challenge. Yes, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. The, usually the day starts with that challenge and end with the challenge of putting them to sleep. So, yeah, so that's uh, the two major challenges of every day. And, but did you manage this morning? No, no. This morning it was uh, my daughter came to school a bit about 8.15 and my son in about 9. In about okay. 9. He's very, very persistent. He's very... Very argumentative. I adore this. I adore this quality, but it's quite challenging. <laughs> I bet. All yeah. right. Well, to talk about something more positive, what is the best thing mm -hmm. that happened to you last week? No, that was that was positive. Uh, last week, last week. Um, you know what? I won't talk about last week. I will talk about the week before last week. It was Passover here in Israel. Mm -hmm. It was Lela Seder, which is a huge uh, holiday, huge celebration. And after last year, we all spent uh, this holiday at our homes with our uh, nucleus family. Uh, my family, my extended family, finally got a chance to celebrate together. We were about 40 people. We rented um, a small uh, motel in uh, in the south of Israel, in a place called Faran, and uh, and celebrated there. So it was phenomenal to end this year with the celebration with all the family uh, for three days. It was just fantastic. That sounds really good. I also had a good time with family during the holiday, and I hope soon everyone who's listening will also be able to get that chance. Yes. Hope so that we will end with this uh, worldwide hysteria. Yeah. Then another last short question: If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, some sort of hamburgers. Yes. If if yes, if if they will allow me some variety regarding the hamburgers, I guess it will be okay. But obviously, you know, hamburgers, hamburgers, not all the new. Beyond meat hamburgers, so meeting meat. something that was something that was killed and then made to food. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now that I know a little bit more about you, 
being a meat eater, celebrating holidays with family and yeah. trying to make it at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm ready to learn a bit more about your academic journey. So let's dig in a bit. Happily. After you completed your MA in organizational consulting, you continued to work as uh -huh. an employment and also as a placement officer. And you eventually even ended up working for a department member. Yeah. And you founded your own nonprofit. You've been very busy in between. And it sounds like a very stable career path. So at what point did you decide and, and why to pursue a PhD instead? So it was kind of a long time dream or maybe it's better to say an obsession for me to, to have a PhD. Not even, I didn't even thought about a career, an academic career, as much as I wanted to have a PhD and to, to study for the PhD. And, and all this time, I'm, I'm, I, I was always, since my bachelor uh, studies day, I was fascinated with the academic world and, and this aspect of dealing with, with knowledge and, and, uh, and studying and exploring and uh, expanding the, the human knowledge. So it was uh, something that I always wanted to deal with in some, some way. Um, I was quite afraid of an academic career because I, <clears throat> one of the things I did was to work in the junior staff of uh, Ben Gurion University and I saw many people finish their PhD and then find themselves unemployed in uh, quite miserable conditions. So I thought to myself, I need to have a proper career and then I will have my academic studies. What happened to me that it took me even a bit longer than I expected. Because, um, I, I think it took me about three, four years since I started to try to get accepted to a PhD until I got to do it. Um, which the majority of the, the, the main reason was it just, it was hard for me to find an advisor. Okay. Uh, my current advisor that I, I, I love him. He's great. He's, he's phenomenal. Maybe it was my destiny to be with him. Uh, I spoke to him about four years because before I was accepted, he told me I haven't got my tendership yet. I can't be your advisor. And then I came back to him about four years later. He said, I got my tenorship. Let's do it. You will be my first student. <laughs> Let's do it. So, so we did that. But, but I think, and, and I know it's a challenge of many people that I spoke with. Uh, it takes a while to, to just to land in this academic world, to, to find an advisor. And, and what I did was just addressing everyone in Israel, just every relevant person that I could think about with various of, of aspects of PhD studies, of research that I thought about that might be relevant for them uh, uh, until I got here. Uh, and I'm happy to be here. Yes, it should be. Uh, I think it's still always uh, good to remember for us that it's still kind of special that we are where we are. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely I, I, And I think this perspective of working in this uh, boring green world uh, makes the academic world seem much more special and interesting than, than other positions. All right. So you had the PhD on your mind while you were working it took you a while to find yeah. a supervisor mm -hmm. um, but why did you decide to study at this particular university was that done all dependent on the supervisor well it was a combination of two things first i live in jerusalem so it's closer to home 
And second, um, that's what happened. I mean, if I would have found a supervisor in Ben-Gurion University, I would have been in Ben-Gurion University. I just, I mean, Haifa University has the best view in Israel, so it would be Haifa. I don't, I mean, I don't really care. All the universities are fun. I mean, I know there's a lot of chauvinism regarding the Hebrew University, that we are the best university the, in Israel. I mean, all universities are... Uh, fantastic and uh, and everyone in them are great so it just what happened and i'm quite uh, happy about that and because you've been through this going into industry trying to build your career a bit and then go back mm-hmm. into academia for the phd do you have any tips for others who are in doubt about maybe also going back to do a phd i think that if someone wants to do a PhD, they should do it. If not, they shouldn't. It's very simple. I mean, the assumption should be that it's impossible to... I, I mean, I don't know about the career, but my assumption was that I would not have an academic career. And maybe I would. I'd be very, very happy to have one, but maybe I would. But as a career counselor, I I, I, I had a tip for people, not for everyone, but for several people that it was... It suited them, and, and I use it for myself. So let's say you're on your deathbed, and your grandchild comes to you and say, grandfather or grandmother, what are you sorry about? What, what, what are your regrets? What haven't you done that you wanted to do? So whatever you think about, you will tell this imaginary grandchild. I'm sure no grandchild has ever asked this question, his <laughs> grandfather or grandmother. But let's say it happens. What are you telling him? And what, whatever you are saying, those are the things you should deal with. And if you're saying, I want to go to Nepal, go to Nepal. And if you're saying, I want to have a PhD, have a PhD. That's what I think. Sounds like some good advice and some, uh, yeah. some good thinking needs to be done, of course. It's quite morbid, so I haven't used it for everyone, just for the happy few. So tell us more about your PhD and what it is you're working on with your supervisor. Okay, happily. So actually, my 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 master thesis was my master thesis was about employment of. Uh, Jewish migrants for, uh, from America, from the United States to Israel. And what I saw it, um, are, are a few very interesting aspects. First, um, the majority of people who come to Israel, it's, not, it's quite an obvious thing that I'm about to say, but some of the things are about quite obvious. But again, I did found them after other people found them. Uh, one is that the majority of people come here from ideological, Zionist, religious reasons. And yet, employment is highly, highly important for them, both as a, as a way to fulfill themselves. Some people come to Israel, they say, I don't want to be, it's an expression I heard many times, I don't want to be a professional Jew. I want to live as a Jew in Israel. So they come to Israel and they want to work in something that will provide them fulfillment, like working for the government or for an NGO or, or, or even just working in Israel because they feel it's more satisfying for them. Second is that uh, because of the connections between Israel and the United States, many of them, and mostly the, the American Jewry, they come here many, many times. Some of them know Hebrew well. They know Israel well. They prepare to make an aliyah sometime years before they come here. And another aspect which became to be my 
number one aspect of, of the PhD dissertation is transnationalism. Transnational migration is, in the, is an aspect that uh, is a concept that since the 90s is kind of, it's, since the 90s is kind of a buzzword or a, a, yeah, or kind of a buzzword or a hot topic that many, many, many uh, scholars use. And I saw that the transnational relations of the Olim from the United States to Israel are, are extremely strong. They visit United States, family visit them, some of them work in the United States, either they fly, they, they spend half the time there and then some of the time here, or they work for American companies uh, online. So so that became a huge aspect. And then I wanted in my PhD dissertation to, to see what happened to a group of transnational migrants regarding the labor market, regarding uh, the workplaces that they work in, and, and uh, with two aspects. One, how it affects their assimilation and adaptation in, uh, in the new society, and here it's Israel. And second, how they affect the workplace and therefore the uh, host country. And the, the effect of migrants is usually not study and unless it's an historical research or uh, or economical historical research but usually in sociology and migration studies i haven't found many that wrote about it so i thought it's fascinating another aspect is that the majority of migration uh, scholars deal with migration for, from third world to first world mm-hmm. uh, and i didn't want to do what everyone are doing Yes, I know. Yeah, I, I, Me too. Yeah. I was told and I, yeah. Uh, so I thought I don't want to do what everyone are doing. I want to do something else. Uh, I want to look at it in a different direction, a different perspective. And this perspective for me is people who come from first world to first world. And the fact that these people are English speakers is, a, is, is then again, it's a major aspect. And they come from the United States. It's a huge thing because they... They, they come here and they speak the international language, a language that is necessary in Israel, but obviously in other countries for social mobility. I mean, for me, I think my English is okay, but my accent is quite thick. So, for example, I used to live for a while in the United States, and, and every time I ordered coffee in Starbucks, my name wasn't written <laughs> properly. So obviously I changed the name to, to American names and they weren't written properly. So I just stayed with Amir. It was not your name in this case. You know, at least it will be my original name that has been mistaken. Yeah, I mean, if I'm saying Jack and they write, I don't even remember what, John, Jill, mm-hmm. whatever. So I can stay with my name. Uh, <clears throat> but it's a major factor. The connection to the United States, the connection to Canada, and the connection to American Jewry. So what I'm studying are, um, are three fields. One is fundraising, and Israel is, uh, is uh, the number one country of importing philanthropy regarding its size. Or maybe even absolutely, but obviously regarding its size. 
and the major benefactor are the American Jews. So that's, and, and obviously many of the fundraisers are American, and I work for the past few years as a fundraiser. So I know this field well, and I know many of the people who work in this field, and, and I think it's fascinating to see how money is being transferred. Second, I'm uh, trying to understand the field of diplomacy. Israel investing a lot of money in diplomacy in what is being called Hasbara, which is basically propaganda, pro-Israel propaganda. So I want to see how that works, how people who come here, who migrated to Israel, are involved in this field, and many are. And the third one that, well, at first it was just like sort of an anecdote or, or something almost funny or esoteric to deal with was the Israeli baseball Association and the Israeli Baseball League. Right. So I know nothing about baseball. I fell asleep during Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about this game. And I started interviewing people. It's fascinating. Okay, First, they love this game. I got infected in their passion to the game. And second, three years ago, Israel won the WBC, World Baseball Classics, sixth place in the world in the right. in the upcoming Olympic Games in Japan that should have been uh, in 2020, will be in 2021. Israel is one of six teams, one of six leagues playing, uh, 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 playing the Olympics. So, you know, they might even come up with a medal. And the interesting aspect for me, academic-wise, is that Baseball is an American game. It referred in Israel to be an American game. The majority of people involved in baseball came from the United States, or maybe it's their children that are involved in the game. And and then this game, this American game, that its penetration to Israel was very, very, very limited, now is about to represent Israel in an international uh, in an international event and the Olympic, which is a huge international event. So it's fascinating to see what will happen, how it will evolve and, and what this game represents for the people who come here to Israel. Nice. I mean, I think I could talk about this with you forever uh, as I'm also working on migration, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. in a different direction. But uh, also transnationalism uh, is something I see a lot, I come across a lot, so that's very nice. And I'm not the only one who thinks that, because you've obviously won grants and you've presented papers at international conferences and also published some of your work. So what parts of the PhD do you like more and which parts of the PhD do you like less? Well, I like the writing part. Okay, what I dislike what is for me is 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 just it's like hell it's like being in hell is transcribing okay it's just it's it's a horrible experience it's a horrible i don't wish it to anyone it's just it's so hard i mean it's essential because you talk to a person talking to them is great i mean the things that come out that come up are fantastic are interesting it's you have to be sensitive you have to to listen to a person, it's fantastic. And then when you read that, it's phenomenal to read what you were talking about. But this middle part of transcribing is just horrible because you can do only one thing. It's very hard for me. I have to do at least two things simultaneously. So to do only one thing is very hard for me. What I try to do is to sit with a computer in front of the t- silenced TV showing a TV show I have already seen many, many times, 
friends is the best candidate for me. And then I can somehow focus on transcribing. It's, it's an essential part and it's essential that I will do it because then I really, I, I can grasp tiny aspects, tiny things they said that I was unable to see when I interviewed them. But for me, that's the worst part. The best part is, uh, is well, of course, talking to the people is phenomenal. I love it. And it's knowing new people and everyone are so willing to, to talk and participate and, and, uh, and tell about themselves, which is great. And baseball. The people who deal with baseball are the most, most collaborative people. They help me so much it's such a fun and and really i'm now a baseball fan because because of them uh yeah but but to to see the the, the big picture either in my uh, research proposal or, or while writing a paper or while finishing a chapter and hopefully when i'll get to finish the entire dissertation in about i guess three years or so so i love this possibility to view the big picture well hopefully you know we can talk in three years from now and see mm -hmm. if i really enjoyed that i hope so right so you say that writing is one of your favorite things yeah. about the PhD, yes. at least for the moment yeah. uh, and writing is very important not only for your dissertation but also if you're uh, interested in uh, doing some publications right mm -hmm. and you already had a publication in the migration uh, journal of israel yes um how was that was that also fun or was publishing a bit more difficult? It, it was, well, I really wanted, it was based, this publication is based on my MA thesis. So, so first it was, it was a lot of fun to take this thesis and, and put it into order and then publishing it. And I was able to see things I couldn't see while working on the MA thesis. Um, Reviewing, dealing with the reviewers is emotionally challenging uh, because some of them, I don't know if it's relevant to Israel or just reviewers all over the world are doing that. It was kind of blunt what they, uh, I mean, I I got the word embarrassing written on one of the pages. Really? So Yes, yes, yes. So it was emotionally quite challenging. Uh, it wasn't that embarrassing, by the way. I don't know why they chose this word, but so, but uh, you know, uh, how, do you, how the Americans said it, to power through this and, and mm -hmm. you get along, and then it was published, and, and it's fantastic. It's a fantastic uh, feeling to to have something written being published. I'm still uh, getting there, but I uh, got luck. reviews and I'm revisioning, so. Hopefully the next try will be it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I ask you, uh, just yeah. because I'm curious and if you're okay with it, if you managed at your first uh, submission or did it take you checking out a few journals before someone bit? So, so the answer is yes and no. I submitted to this paper. They said no. And then I submitted to a couple of other, uh, to this magazine. They said no. I submitted to some other magazine. They also said no. I revised my uh, my paper quite a lot. It took me several months, and then I submitted again to this uh, same uh, magazine, and it was published. Oh well, thanks for sharing that uh, honesty. Yeah. Because sometimes it's something we don't talk about. It's like, yeah, we have a publication, and it's great, and it should be celebrated. But for others to realize who are still in the process of getting rejected two, three, four times in a row. 
that they know that you know it happens to other people too and there's even still a chance to get there with the same work i think i just i think i just i you know i i, I work as a fundraiser for several years i used to work when i was in the, in the states i used to work as a salesman and uh, and before i met my wife i was a single man so hearing no from people was uh, an experience i experienced my whole life because you know just the way it is and even statistically you you submit you try you ask and you hear the answer no and then after 10 times 20 times you hear the answer yes but this 10 20 100 times of hearing the answer no is is an essential path to hearing the answer yes and even the grant or scholarship I got, I mean, I just, I submit to whatever is relevant. I mean, I won't submit to something that is completely unrelevant, but I do submit to everything that might be relevant. So obviously uh, I get more no than yes, but I get more yes than I would have if I wouldn't uh, submit it. Okay. Uh, I already, I, actually, I now I sent an interesting paper, which is a kind of a... Uh, outcome of my research about uh, Olim, about Jewish migrants from North America during the Corona uh, time. Because one of several of the questions I asked my interviewees were about that. I interviewed so far almost 40 people. I have about 20, 20 something more to interview. So I asked them about how they dealt with the coronavirus, with the lockdowns, with the uh, flights uh, being canceled. And the conclusions are quite interesting because the uh, transnational connection continued and deepened, but obviously in electronic means, meaning social media, uh, mostly social media and, uh, and sometimes phones. So it's quite, it was quite interesting. Talking about social media and uh, social life, or in this case, right, we're talking about transnationalism. Actually, also mm -hmm. yes. was interested because you haven't brought it up yourself, and with a lot of other guests, I do feel like they do that. Mm -hmm. um, that they have this this struggle or this difficulty of balancing a social life with academia. Now you've already been in industry and had your social life, and now you're back in academia. I don't think. I mean, really, parenting is much more challenging time-wise than uh, the PhD studies. First, as I said, I can concentrate only if I do at least two things simultaneously. So when I write, I watch TV simultaneously. Obviously, only things I already watched. I really love uh, the Star Trek sequels, Star Trek Voyager, okay. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I watch them while I'm while I'm writing, unless I really have to focus seriously. So that's one. Second, parenting is the challenge, not uh, not a PhD, and 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 third and thirteen is that. Uh, you know, my wife started doing her PhD too. Uh, she's oh, doing a cool. PhD in history in uh, in the Tel Aviv University, and she said something I completely agree. She said many people have hobbies. Our hobby is to have a PhD. It's not more expensive, and it's not ma not much more time consuming that than other. Maybe it's a bit more time consuming than other hobbies, right. but it's a lot of fun. And beside that, it's very flexible. Uh, it's very flexible. It's not like I have to be in the lab 
for several hours every day. I, I can write today, I can write tomorrow. I don't feel like that's affecting my uh, social life. What affecting is parenting. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a major effect. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. Okay, so we've discussed quite a few different things. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've mentioned earlier that you wanted to get the PhD, that that was the dream. Yes. But you haven't necessarily thought about what would happen after that. So that leads us to the last big question of today, which is, what are you going to do with that? After the PhD, are you staying in academia? Are you going into industry? What's on your mind? So I'm now in some sort of industry. I don't know if the non-profit industry is an industry, but, you know, I'm, I'm already there, so I can just stay there. It's, it's nice. It's okay. Uh, I'll be very, very happy to be in the academia. I want to, I mean, this dealing with knowledge and uh, dealing with knowledge and and uh, and ideas is is fascinating for me uh, i can tell you when i met my supervisor for the first time he asked me what are you going to do with that and said i'll be very happy to have a, a some sort of academic career but worst case when i order flight tickets instead of mister i'll write doctor so you know that's an option too but really I want I want to be in the academia and mostly I I love uh, writing I love this writing and publishing this this ability to study something and then to write about it and to be part of this universal community of knowledge it's just it's amazing for me like uh, talking about uh, this paper I submitted, hopefully it will be published about about uh, uh, migrants during the Corona time. One of the main scholars of transnational migration is called Stephen Verotovek. He claims in, in several papers that the the main theme, the main he called it the transnational glue, is cheap phone calls. When there's uh, uh, when there are cheap phone calls, there's more transnational uh, uh, transnational activity. So here it's not phone calls, but it's the internet that allows that. So it's kind of parallel. So so okay. So I took what he said. I'm not saying he's wrong. He's completely right. But now I can add something to it, and it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. The the, the ability to do that is phenomenal. And, uh, and, and I just, I love it. Uh, I just love it. And, and another thing I, I sense, you know, at least in this stage of, of my academic life, everyone are very nice. Everyone are very nice. I mean, everyone I, I address come back to send me emails back. I sent emails to, to professors uh, in, in major universities, to major scholars in my field. They write back. They are willing to talk. They are willing to discuss. They are willing to help. It's so friendly. And, and I experienced that not only in Israel, but what, like a worldwide phenomenon. It's fantastic. Okay. I love it. I love nice people. I love being <laughs> in a place when people are nice. And I just, I love it. I want to be there. I want to do it. I hope I'll be able to. Okay, fingers crossed. And do send us that paper if it does get published, because I would read it. So I'm sorry it will be in Hebrew, but the rest of my my, uh, publishing, I hope it will be in English. Uh, I hope the rest will be in English. Cool. Okay, 
So then I'd like to wrap up with just a few other short questions. Happily. Uh, the first one is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? Um, the effect of migrants. The effect of migrants. I, I, it's an understudied subject. And uh, I mean, I, I think I have few contributions, few potential contributions, but the effect of migrants is uh, is a major one. It's an understudied aspect, and uh, and I think the American jury has given and changed and affected so much in Israel, uh, and it's just a, a phenomenal case study that I think should be implemented to other uh, types of migration. How migrants affect their host country, it's, it's a huge thing. Right. As a, as a group, right? Like coming from certain areas in the world? Yes. Obvi- I, I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about just the single migrant, but, but mm-hmm. migrants as a group. But I think it's a huge thing because, and then again, the majority of my, migration literature, that at least that I know, speaks about migrants as this uh, sometimes even miserable people who move from one place to the other just to get a little bit more money or to escape from some atrocity. And and there's much more in that. And obviously, when a group of people come to a new society, to a new geographical area, they do things, they affect. It's, it's impossible to think they don't. And mm-hmm. so it's Essential, we will treat them as people, as as as, as subjects, as, as people that are agents and can implement and affect. So it's very easy for me because I'm studying people who come from America, the empire of our times, who speak English, who are highly educated and come to a country that is highly favorable for them to come to. They, they, they are being invited to Israel. But I, I really hope it will have some effect about other groups of migrants to, to see how they can affect and how, how, not how can they can affect, how they do affect, what, what are the effects and to, to really see them and to acknowledge them. Okay, and you're still on your way to make more contributions. So we'll get to that. I hope. All right, and who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? Um, well, I, you know, in my field, I, the first name that pops to my mind is Nina Glick-Schiller. She's an anthropologist, uh, and she's one of the three women who, who started this concept of transnational migration, and she's still publishing in, in, in alarming rate. I mean, she published so much, so much, all the time, and, uh, and, and I love her work, I love her writing, she writes in, in a way, I love reading her, not, not, not just because of the knowledge and the, and the ideas, just she writes fantastic, fantastically, it's interesting. And, and not everyone does that, so it's important, yeah. Obviously, yes. That's why I focus on Anglos and sometimes English, you know, as a philosophy, uh, as a philosophy student. Um, Germans and French people just they just their their sentences are quite long, but the Brits and the Anglo's they write in a very accurate way, in a very convenient way. But she writes better than the most, and and I love her ideas. She, for example, writes about, and and I hope that the pinnacle of my dissertation will come to it. 
that the the country is not just this one geographical unit just one community and geographical unit and that's it it's it's wider it has a diaspora it operates within the diaspora it's been affected by other countries and 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 I love that notion and and I love that notion regarding Israel because I think one you know if I can add a small contribution in in the Israeli sociology we we can view the Israeli sociology uh, but the majority of scholars don't view the Jewish world so there's some disconnection between the study of the Jewish world and the Jewish diaspora and Israeli sociology and even Jewish history and Israeli history. I really want to see how I can bring these two together, at least in my small study. Uh, and, um, and because the, the country the, the country we live in the state we live in is not just a geographical unity and, a, and one community it's much wider than that very interesting yes <laughs> but I've already gone to my last question and that is how do you relax after a hard day of work um, my vacation is usually um, is usually smoking one joint, drinking two cups of coffee, and then I'm not falling asleep for two or three hours. It's, it's the best vacation I can get right now as a parent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you do after a hard day of work, or not too often, I guess? N- not too often, yes, because the next day cannot be another hard day mm-hmm. of work. It must be a very, very easy day. Uh, yeah, very easy day. All right. Well, thanks, Amir, for joining us today. And also thank a thank you. you to the audience for listening, right? Don't forget to check out our social media accounts and YouTube channel for more tips and advice. And I hope to see you there. So, Amir, I also wanted to ask you something about the poetry because we didn't get to that yet. Ah, yes. I've seen that you've written quite some. You've published some books and you've also got some grants for it or some awards, right? Uh, yes, yes. And even now I, I, even I wrote a book about Israeli political poetry that I'm trying to get published. The, uh, Israel political, Israeli political poetry in the past two decades, I think. A few very interesting things happened there. So I want to get it published. Uh, I love poetry, yes, since I was very, very young, I love poetry, I love reading poetry, I love reading about poetry, I love writing poetry and writing about poetry, uh, and yeah, I just, I love it. And sometimes people ask me, how is it connected to my field of research? And I tell them, it's not, not everything should be connected to other things. Some things can be just not connected to anything else. Yeah, sometimes it's good to have something completely different just to also clear your mind. 